You're listening to The Bridge Podcast, Real Life Church's Young Adult Ministry. And then those are my two little girls, Katie and Ella. Katie is the taller one. She also loves Moana, loves it, loves that her fifth birthday party is coming up, and she will be Moana. But did you know that Disney doesn't sell the dress yet? That feels like a marketing mistake. Just throwing it out there. We had to buy it from Amazon, some hack deal in China probably. It's exciting. Got the dress, she cried. And then little Ella, she's one and a half. And uh, she's, she's cool sometimes. <laughs> but like one and a half is that window where they don't really like talk yet. And they grunt and they don't, they have opinions now. So she's like, you don't really know what to do with that. And so it's just starting to get fun. They get really cool at like two, and then they kind of suck again at three. Just so if you have kids, you know, just setting you up, being honest. Let's talk about racial inequality. (laughs) So college, can I tell you, college to like 30 is the most fun group to talk with. Y'all just have energy that doesn't really happen in like church. I'm, I'm Presbyterian. So I was at church this morning, and I think half the people were asleep because it's an hour. And then somebody gets, is that long? Yeah, see? And then the music's really good, but it puts you to sleep because it's a piano. But I want to talk tonight about racial inequality. But here's what I want to do, and you guys have, you guys have been here a lot, and uh, I've come up here a couple times to hang out, but I've also come up here a couple times to speak. And I'm excited to share a little bit about this topic, uh, mainly from the picture in the eyes of Jesus. And I could talk about it in terms of social stuff, and I'll talk a little bit about that. But the reality is, is that, that for me, this conversation isn't a conversation about what everybody else thinks. This is a conversation for what people that know Jesus think. And I, I guess I, I understand any perspective that you would have if you don't know Jesus. Like, I'm totally okay. You can have any perspective you want if you don't know Jesus. But if you know Jesus, there's a perspective that Jesus has on people that really you need to grab onto. And so I'm going to talk about that. And I'm excited to talk about it because I think this conversation matters. And it definitely matters for people your age. Because I'm going to just offer this. Y'all need to lead us. The old people, y'all need to lead us in how to do this. Y'all need to lead us. Cool? I want to talk about this first, though. You can go to the black slides in between so that everybody's not like, what's that slide for? Yeah, like that one. Perfect. And go to the next one. Did you know that this is the 2016 word of the year? Post-truth. Did you know that? Post-truth. Like, truth doesn't matter anymore. Did y'all hear that? Did you know? 2016, word of the year, post-truth, relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. This is a a problem. It doesn't matter what's real anymore. What matters is what resonates with us, what feels right. I mean, that's the idea. If it's like I got an emotional appeal, it sways us like the truth. That's crazy. And when we talk about Jesus, we're talking about the truth. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. 
And so we can't just ignore truth, and we have to get back to what truth is. And y'all young people, y'all get it. Y'all see it. It matters more. But I'm a little bit worried that we're all, this, as a country, we're moving away from truth, that truth matters. And so I want to start here. And I've seen it because I, I watched the election. Like, tr truth did not sway. You can't talk to somebody and say, hey, did you know that's wrong? People are like, ah, it's not wrong. And that's a problem for us as Christians. That's a huge issue for us to address. We have to address truth. Truth is real. Did you know fire burns? Did you know that? Like if you put your hand in an actual fire, it will burn you if you leave it there. Did you know it burns you whether you believe it's going to burn you or not? It will burn you. Just go home, put your hand on the stove, don't do that. But that's the idea. It will burn you. It's not a subjective reality. I love this topic tonight. I'm just going to do this. This is too good. You guys, Jesus is so cool. Okay, this is one of my favorite stories in all the Bible. And I want to set it up. And you guys have probably all heard this story at some level. And that's okay, because that's exciting. Maybe you have some familiarity. My job is to find the twist for you. That's what they tell you in preaching class. Find the twist. What's the twist? I've never heard that before. That's what I'm trying to do. We'll see. You probably heard it before. Okay, let me just set this up a little bit, okay? This is Jesus talking to his friends. They just came back. Jesus sent them out two by two, said, hey, go out and do amazing things. You'll do even greater things than things I do. And they go out and they like heal people and cast out demons and all this stuff. It's crazy. And this is what I love. This is how it starts. And the slide's up there so you can read along with me. Oh, just side note, I use the message. So if you're like, hey, that's not what it says in my Bible, it's because it's the message. Okay, I'm not a heretic, I'm just Presbyterian. And because I live in SoCal, it's okay to use the message. Cool. <laughs> I preached one time in Georgia. Didn't use the message. Didn't like it. So cool. I love California. <laughs> okay. Okay, so this is where it starts. In verse 20, it says this. The great triumph is not in your authority over evil. Remember, they just got back. They're fired up and excited about what they just did. The great triumph is not in your authority over evil, but in God's authority over you and his presence with you. Not what you do for God, but what God does for you. It's that agenda that's worth rejoicing. Have you heard that set up before? That, that everything that you do that is amazing the most amazing thing of all of it is what God is doing in your heart. That the most important thing that happens in your life is not the things you do for God, but what God is doing in your own heart and mind. At that, Jesus rejoiced exuberant in the Holy Spirit. Just exuberant, and I love this, like fired up, just energy. I thank you, Father, Master of heaven and earth, that you hid these things from the know-it-alls. What? Jesus hides. God hides big things to the people that act like they know everything. I love that about God. If you act like you got it all, if you know everything, you don't. You won't ever see it. That's humility. And he showed them to the innocent newcomers. 
Yes, God is pleased to do it this way. Isn't that crazy? It's kind of a weird idea. It's just kind of a weird idea that the most important thing is what happens in you. And if you think you know what, you're, what God is showing you, you don't. That God delights in this way of working. That he does it differently on purpose. If you think you got it, he's going to mess it up. And that's what I think is really important. He turns to his friends kind of in his private conversation. Fortunate are the eyes that see what you're seeing. They get to see God work. There are plenty of prophets and kings. Another way to say that is influential, big shot, wealthy people who would love to buy this. They'd give their right arm to see what you're seeing. But never get so much as a glimpse to hear what you are hearing, but never get so much as a whisper. Like, that, like what happens inside you, nobody else can explain. Only you can. Only you can explain what happens in your heart. Only you can explain what happens in, in there. Nobody else can. And that's the setup to this incredible conversation that Jesus has with this religious leader. It says this, okay? Just then a religious scholar stood up to question and test Jesus. Teacher, what do I need to do to get eternal life? What do I need to do? I love this question. It's a great question. Look, I'm just going to cut to the chase. Like, what do I need to do? You ever been in, like, college and you get a syllabus? It's got, like, 13 pages and you're like, yo, just give me the assignments and what I need to do to get a B. You know what I'm saying? This guy, he's a lawyer. <laughs> Lawyers. They bill by the hour. That's why they move quickly. So it says this. Jesus answers, what's written in God's law? How do you interpret it? And he said that you love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and muscle and intelligence and that you love your neighbor as well as you, you do yourself. Good answer. That's the right answer. Okay. Do it and you will live is what Jesus says. And looking for a loophole, love lawyers, because they're just like me. Looking for a loophole, he asks, and just how do you define neighbor? Well, this is important. Jesus answers by telling a story. Okay? Whoa. You're moving quick. Jesus answers by telling a story. I'll get to that in a sec. Okay? It's really important that you know this. Jesus likes to tell what are called parables. This is a beautiful picture by Vincent van Gogh. And this is the parable of the Good Samaritan. Okay? Now, the Good Samaritan is not a real story in that it didn't actually happen. It's a story meant to communicate the truth about something. And here's a good definition of parables, ready? It's a story that never happened, but always does, or at least should happen. So it's a story that didn't happen, but always does. It's like, oh yeah, I've seen that before, something like that, I've seen that. They're kind of dated though, you know what I mean? So we gotta kind of find some modern day parables. But let me tell you the story, because I think it's important. Ready? Looking for a loophole, he asked, and just how would you define neighbor? And Jesus answered by telling a story. If an audience kept complete silence during a challenge parable from Jesus, okay? I want you to think about that. This is a challenge parable from Jesus. And if an audience filed past him afterwards saying, oh, that's a lovely parable this morning, Rabbi. What a great parable. Oh, I love that. It was so touching. Jesus would have failed. Like this is meant to twist you. It's meant to jack you up a little bit. Ready? There once was a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and on the way he was attacked by robbers. 
They took his clothes, beat him up, and went off leaving him half dead. Well, luckily, luckily, a priest was on his way down that same road. Oh, what a lucky man. He just got jacked up, beat up, left for dead on the side of the street, and here comes a priest. Oh, this is going to be so good. Priest, religious leader. He knows God everything. But when he saw him, he angled across to the other side of the road. What? And then a Levite, which is just a religious man from a tribe that was where the priest came from, showed up and he also injured the man, or uh, avoided the injured man. <laughs> it's a little bit rough if he like kicks him or something. That's not the story. Uh, but he also avoids the injured man. Now here's what you gotta understand. Jesus is talking to Jewish people. Like Jesus is sitting there talking to Jewish people about the heroes of their faith. Okay, and he's saying these things. And these, the crowd would have been like, oh, the priest, yeah, for sure. Oh, the priest is going to do the right thing. Oh, the Levite, he's going to do the right thing. Absolutely. Oh, what? what? And then here's the twist. And this is why I think this is the right text for this conversation. Okay. A Samaritan, okay, who's a mixed race person. Like he was part Jewish, part something else, probably Arabian. And the Samaritans were hated. Did you know that Samaritans would eat and then Jewish people wouldn't even use their utensils? Like they wouldn't eat food with them because they were like somehow less than the Jewish people. They were like half-breed. And so as soon as Jesus says, hey, a Samaritan comes down the road, the crowd would have been like, boo, Samaritan, boo, Samaritan, nothing good or about Samaritan. And I want you to hear this about the Samaritan in the story. When he saw the man's condition, his heart went out to him. He gave him first aid, disinfecting and bandaging his wounds, then he lifted him onto the donkey, led him to an inn, and made him comfortable. In the morning, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take good care of him. If it costs any more, put it on my bill. I'll pay you on my way back. What do you think? Which of the three became a neighbor to the man attacked by robbers? Well, the lawyer, he's not an idiot. Well, the one who treated him kindly, the religious scholar responded. And Jesus says, go and do the same. And here's the conversation for me. When Jesus talks about the neighbor in this story, when Jesus says, which of these treated the man like a neighbor, he doesn't say it in the noun sense. Like it's not a noun for Jesus. Neighbor is not a noun. Neighbor is an action. Like, who neighbored the man is how Jesus would say that in the original language. Who took action to make this person their neighbor? You, you know, you live next to people that are not your neighbor. Did you know that? Like, they're not because you don't know them. And you work with people that are not your neighbor because you don't know them. Neighboring is an action that you control whether you neighbor someone or not. You control whether you neighbor someone. And that's why this conversation starts here for me. Racial inequality to me starts at this conversation of who are you neighboring? 
Who are you bringing into your crew? Who are you loving the way the Samaritan loves this man who he doesn't know? I mean, that's what it is to go and do the same. Go and do the same. And I'm going to tell you this. I was with friends in my job a week after the election. And it's 32 people. There's three white males in the class. Three white males. And we had a time where we just shared about the way the election went and how they felt coming out of the election. Remember, three white guys, mostly black men and women. And the way they talked about the election is they felt betrayed. Like that nobody listened to them. My friend from Chicago shared about how as a Latino man in Chicago, he is now afraid for his family that they will be treated poorly. The way that they talked about it is the, 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 just the anguish in their heart and eyes, the fear. I'd never experienced that much of that. Never. Never seen it. And the church has a long history of this, of being terrible representatives of Jesus. Exploiting people next to us, using people for what they give us. Maybe some of you in this room have been used by someone at a church. But I want to show this. This is one of my favorite poems. So a song. It's called Strange Fruit. Southern trees bear a strange fruit, blood on the leaves and blood at the root. Black bodies swinging in the southern breeze, strange fruit hanging from the poplar trees. Pastoral scene of the gallant south, the bulging eyes and the twisted mouth. Scent of magnolias, sweet and fresh, then the sudden smell of burning flesh. Here is fruit for the crows to pluck, for the rain to gather, for the wind to suck, for the sun to rot, for the trees to drop. Here is a strange and bitter crop. It's crazy that people in the South killed other people in the name of Jesus. It's crazy. And when we said finally as a country, you know what, you can't kill people anymore. We figured out a way to oppress people and tell them they don't belong and not give them the equal rights that they deserve as humans. It's crazy. And that's the legacy we have as a nation is things like that. I think this is important. Peggy Mack this, and I think this is worth your while to read this. And this is how I feel. When I was growing up in Chicago, this is what I thought. I was taught to see racism only in individual acts of meanness. Like it was just if you, if you were a little racist, like if you said something that was wrong, like it was your problem to deal with. And there's truth in that. But I was taught that. Not in indivisible, in, invisible systems conferring dominance on my group. Like I was taught that it was an individual thing. Until I opened my eyes and started talking to people, I didn't realize how much privilege I had. 
I didn't know. And why would I know unless I listened to somebody who didn't have that experience? How would I know? I wouldn't. And neither will you unless you neighbor somebody. Neither will you until you neighbor someone. I'm gonna put a picture up here and I want you just to look at it. pretty amazing. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing piece. I, I look at this and I say, look, if you want to put a sign up that you are about Jesus, got to open the door. Just stop saying you're about Jesus and bringing people to the cross because Jesus died for everyone. Stop saying it if you're not going to be one of those people. This is what I mean. It's not okay to not view people the way Jesus does if you call yourself a Christian. It's not okay. I don't work here, so I can say that really strongly. It's not okay to view people as less than yourself. In fact, the only Christian response to seeing other people is to put them above yourself. That is the only way of following Jesus. And the only way that's going to happen is if you actually know someone else and you know how to help them get up. It's the only way it's going to happen. That's what it means to neighbor somebody. That's what it means to neighbor somebody. You are the master of your own education. If you're not an ally, it's your own fault. Have you heard of Google? Get out there and read some stories. There is a whole world of people out there that are treated horribly by the people around them because those people don't act like Jesus. And I can get into it in politics. I'll go with you. I can do it. But if the heart isn't Jesus, it doesn't really matter the politics. It just doesn't. I get it. If you're like, if you're like yo, I don't, I don't think that then that's fine politically. It's not okay as a Christian. Like if you think it's okay for people to be oppressed so that they can't vote, like they don't have a voice but you do, then that's not a Christian perspective. Like if you think it should be difficult for somebody else to have a voice, you are communicating that your voice is more important than theirs and that is not a Christian perspective. And what we've seen around the country is a bunch of places where people are saying, you know what, these people can't vote. They're going to make it as difficult as possible for that group of people to vote because they know that if they can do that, they can keep winning and keep the control that they have. And that is not a position of Jesus. It's not. And I think this is important because as Christians, we're called to be allies to the broken. And I want you to see this. And I'll read it. Expecting marginalized people, which is basically anybody who's not white or male in America, to educate you isn't being an ally. 
You're actually creating work for them. It's being lazy and expecting others to do the work for you. Being an ally also means actively doing your part and learning more about the inequalities that certain people face on a daily basis. That is the process of neighboring. At this point, there are endless resources that we all can use to learn more about a variety of issues from racial inequalities to transphobia. While it is beneficial to hear how people have personally been affected by injustice, Google is always free and there are enough there to find you resources of all kinds. It's not the job of the marginalized to spoon feed their experience to you. Look, if you're a follower of Jesus, it's your job to know the marginalized. It's your job to pursue the marginalized, to hear their stories and to listen and shut your mouth and listen. That's your job. What's a Samaritan do? I love the Samaritan. He's so amazing. Listen to this. Put it back up, the passage. A Samaritan traveling on the road came on him. And listen to the things he does. He saw the man's condition. He, he, first he sees the man. If he had his eyes closed, he never would have stopped. He saw the man. What are you looking for? Are you looking? Are you looking for people? Or are your eyes closed? He saw the man. And this is even more important maybe. His heart went out to him. He didn't just see the guy. He saw the guy and it moved his heart to compassion. He saw the man, his heart was moved to compassion, and he didn't just stop there, oh man, I feel so bad for him. He then takes steps to do stuff. Listen to what he does. He gave him first aid, disinfecting and bandaging his wounds. This is like practical help. Taking care of immediate needs. Then he gives up his spot on the donkey he's riding. He gives him his spot on the donkey. Boy, that's tough. No? Oh, man, that sucks. Okay, I feel a little bad for them. Okay, man, here's some money. I'm not going to give him my spot, though. And he has the hard work then to walk alongside the man. He leads him to an inn and makes him comfortable. Makes him comfortable. You know how you get comfortable with people? You get to know them. Did you know that? When you're with your best friends, it's comfortable. Why? Because y'all know each other. Y'all trust each other. Y'all have history together. Y'all have stories. If you don't have history and stories with people, it's not going to be comfortable. Dave's like, hey, come talk on racial inequality. I'm like, I'm the wrong guy. He's like, hey, I trust you because I know you care about it. Great. I'm happy to do it because I trust Dave. He knows better than I do. Makes them comfortable. Financial sacrifice. There's a financial sacrifice there. If you want to lift someone up, you want to lift someone up, it's going to cost you. If you don't want to lift people up, if you don't want it to cost you anything, it's not a Jesus. It's not a Jesus thing. Following Jesus is going to cost you. And then lastly, and I think this is important, take good care of him. If it costs any more, put it on my bill. Oh, so sad. I'll pay you on my way back. And this is the last thing that I think is really unique about this. Is he promises to follow up. Like he promises to come back and follow up. 
Now, here's the question, okay? What of those seven things that I just walked through is easiest in your head? Some of y'all don't even see a problem. I didn't see a problem for a long time. The way people are treated. People of different ethnicities are treated. Look, I work in San Marino. San Marino is 60% Chinese. You know what they call it? Chan Marino. That's what they call it. And the way that they talk about Asian families and their values, the fact that they don't let their kids go out on a school night, it's brutal. It's not right. The way the white people in that community sometimes talk, not all of them, there's some great people in that community that love Jesus, but there's others that are like trying to leave because it's getting too Asian. They don't want their kids to grow up in a hyper-academic, competitive world. You got to see it. You got to have compassion on it. All the other things. But here's the end of it. And I'm going to flip to this. I want you to hear this. This is the new life. The life of Jesus. That is really important for you. Our firm decision is to work from this focus center. One man died for everyone. I italicize that. But if you don't agree with that, if you don't agree that Jesus died for everyone, how are you ever gonna make systemic changes to what's happening in the world? To where you might actually say to someone, hey, you know what? You are worthwhile, you are equal to me, if not better than me. If you don't believe that. That puts everyone in the same boat Everyone. He included everyone in his death so that everyone could also be included in his life, a resurrection life, a life, far better life than people ever lived on their own. And that requires neighboring. If you don't neighbor the people around you, specifically diversifying the people you hang out with, how will you ever be a part of reconciliation? You won't. It goes on. Because of this decision, we don't evaluate people by what they have or how they look. Wow. What they have or how they look. We looked at Jesus that way once and got it all wrong, and you're well aware that we killed him. We certainly don't look at him that way anymore because he's not dead. Now we look inside, and what we see is that anyone united with Jesus gets a fresh start and is created new. The old life is gone, a new life begins. Look at it, all this comes from the God who settled the relationship between us and him and then called us, you and me and the church, to settle our relationships with each other. And the only way that happens is if you neighbor someone. The only way that happens is if you neighbor someone. Lastly, one more. God put the world square with himself through the Messiah, giving the world a fresh start by offering forgiveness of sins. God has given us the task of telling everyone what he is doing. We're Christ's representatives or ambassadors is the famous verse. God uses us to persuade men and women to drop their differences and enter into God's work of making things right between them. 
That's the ministry of reconciliation. That's the ministry of reconciliation, and it starts in your own heart. Starts in your own heart. If it doesn't start in your heart, if Jesus isn't speaking to you and saying, hey, you know what? There's something going on here. It's not going to happen anywhere else. You're not going to go neighbor somebody until you get into your own ideas and head and say, you know what? Maybe those people do deserve the same Savior that loves me. And maybe if just enough young people start to look a lot more like Jesus, the systems that are all around us that are really not that great, that are really oppressive, will begin to change. And I pray for that day. I pray for that day. And I work and hope for all of that to happen. But it starts in my own heart. And do I want a neighbor? I have some resources I put together. Take a picture of the screen. These are things that I think are pretty easy to do. A couple books. Okay, I think these are really important. New Jim Crow and Underground America. Those are probably the two best books to give you a picture of both the black and Latino kind of struggle. Um, I, they're not really Christian books, but I think they're really important if you want to hear stories, especially Underground America. It's just stories. Ta-Nehisi Coates is really great. Frontline is a, a documentary. It's 90 minutes. It's amazing, it's just a great documentary about an experiment in like the 60s of a classroom. It's really good. The Invisible Knapsack is an exercise online. It's 50 questions, it's just about to help you see who you are and the privilege that you have. The Short and Tragic Life of Robert Peace is a really great story about a kid who goes to Ivy League school and is killed shortly thereafter. 13th on Netflix. If you have Netflix, I recommend you watch it. It's about the amendment. And how the Irish became white is a fascinating story. Um, this is just some of the ideas. But there's a lot at stake. Okay? And I could talk more about the systems and politics and how it's oppressive. But I don't want to do that. If you want to talk about that, I'll talk to you in the lobby. But if you want to know the heart of Jesus, if you want to know that, the Samaritan story is the heart of Jesus. The race of that story is not an issue other than for the people that hear the story. And the actions of the Samaritan are the actions that Jesus says, go and do the same. Let me pray. Jesus, I thank you for this, for this space and time, for this great group of people that are doing their best to follow you. Help us to neighbor those around us. Help us to go and do the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, give it up for Dave, everybody. Well, now's the time that we always take, uh, we, we call it talk it over or just our small groups. Uh, we want you guys to get in groups of six to eight, just wherever you are sitting. Uh, and then send up a facilitator to come up and just kind of turn your chairs around. Make sure you include everybody around you. 
uh, and, and just come up and grab these questions. We want you guys to be participants, not just uh, people who listen to the message. So after about 15 minutes, we'll come back up and we'll go into a time of worship.